What's up? Glad to see you guys back. We're almost back to where we were with all of our folks. We have some folks who are staying back and stuff like that. But we will be there. I have faith. Amen? And it'll be a happy reunion. Amen? Um, Why don't we pray and ask God to teach us this morning through his word and to guard my tongue that I would preach only what his word says. Father, we pray. Thank you. Thank you for that reminder that when trials come, your son is with us. We are not alone. Father, just over and over your promises that Christ would not forsake us. He would never leave us nor forsake us. That he will empower us. That he will strengthen us. That uh, he provides by his access a, th- a throne of grace from which we, by which we could always appeal to the God of the universe. I pray, Father, that every Christian here would be availing themselves to that throne. Would cast their burdens upon the one who can, whose shoulders are big enough to take it. And so, Father, we pray this morning, would you help us to understand clearly what your word says about spiritual gifts and our roles and how they are to be operated. Uh, Lord, make us a stronger church because of it. But Lord, also make us a church that is yielded to your spirit for fruit, for sanctification, for multiplication, for your glory. Oh, Spirit, would you glorify Christ today? Amen. I had um, Aaron read the whole chapter of First um, Corinthians twelve. We wanted to get the the flow and the context of what we're going to be going through. Our text for today is simply going to be verses eight through eleven. And this is the Holy Spirit's gifts to the local church, quite simply. And as you know, in chapter 12, this is a big section about the spiritual gifts. Chapter 13 talks about love. Chapter 14, specifically about the gift of tongues. Uh, My daughter was asking, why are we spending so much time on the gifts? I said, because God does. God does in his passage. So here, um, I, I remember... As we, as we think about spiritual gifts, one of the most confused topics is the, in the church is this issue of spiritual gifts. A confusion of what gifts are leads to a wrong application, which also leads to immaturity, and it also leads to a poor witness. I remember I had the privilege of preaching at a funeral. There was a couple there where the wife was a professing Christian and the husband was an unbeliever. The wife heard that I was preaching and quietly whispered to us, pray for my husband so that he would be saved. Of which we said we would. After I preached, she stated that my sermon was spirit-filled and that she felt the spirit was strong in me. Almost like the force. I'm not really trying to joke around it. She goes, the spirit is strong in you. I could sense it. I said, because I preached the word of God. That's why. We were walking back. And as we walked, she was speaking to my wife. And then she acted as if she was being slain in the spirit. And she 
closed her eyes and started to fall backwards. And her husband caught her because my wife said, like, what's going on? When she came to from this spiritual experience that she said, she said she was a prophetess and that she was gifted and she could sense when the spirit was strong and that she was often, because of this giftedness, would fall slain in the spirit. Her husband, an unbeliever, saw it was all nonsense. In that instance, I think I agree more with the unbeliever than the professing believer. Why? Because there was no, there is no scripture that shows you can be slain in the spirit and fall backwards. Whenever people did see the Lord, they would fall forwards in shame because of their sin. Peter did in the boat. Isaiah did when he saw a glimpse of the heavenly train that filled the temple with his glory. It was this show of spirituality and this wrong and unbiblical view of spiritual gifts was not only hindering her growth, but it was hindering the testimony of which she wanted her, her husband to come to Christ. But she herself, by her silly uh, or ignorant or a refusal of what spiritual gifts are, was a block to his faith. She only sought for the next experience and not growth and maturity in the word. By it, by the very clear expression on her husband's face, this false and fanciful expression of the gift of the Spirit was a roadblock to her, his unbelief. When spiritual gifts are not understood in light of Scripture, and they are unbridled and not measured to the Bible, the sins of men and women distort the gifts. Rather than the gifts being used to edify the body of Christ for His glory... Their abuse is used for show or for an experience. In the body, this unbiblical use of gifts can be a hotbed of envy. I have this gift. Oh, you have that gift and I don't, so I'm envious of you. Of pride. I have this gift. You don't, so I'm more spiritual than you. Of discouragement. Of a lack of usefulness in the body of a propagation of false doctrine, immaturity, and a very hindered witness of Christ to the unbelieving world. Oftentimes, folks who practice such unbiblical spiritual gifts say they are on a mission. I'm on a mission to do this certain thing because I have this certain spiritual gift, which is not in the Bible, and their mission is unbiblical. There is no guide for this mission. And so their supposed intimacy with God is not to be questioned. You cannot say, well, really? Where did God really say in his word that you are supposed to do this? Well, I feel it. Really? You're supposed to go out and have these meetings and slay people in the spirit or laugh in the spirit or fall down in the spirit. Even as, as sad to say, there has been in the 90s, there was vomiting in the spirit. I'm not kidding. Really? Well, because the Spirit makes me feel it. And now, because you have some supposed intimacy with God that is not in the collective of the regular church, now you have this mission, you have this obligation to live and act this way in the most ecstatic experience, which is more like the pagans rather than it is with the Christians. And we can't say anything. Why? 
Because now your experience has now trumped what the word of God is. And Paul says no. By the word of God he gives us very clear understanding. When the local body is clear on the spiritual gifts and their use is in the local church. I say in the local church. You have to remember the context. First Corinthians is not some kind of nebulous idea of a church. It is an actual church where actual Christians got saved. And they were actually meeting with one another. And so what God is saying to this local church. Is within this local church there is a multiplicity of gifts. And you ought to use them rightly for his glory. The body serves one another. The body is unified. The body loves one another. Each member exerts its gifts to build up and encourage the body. Notice what the text says right before chapter 8. But to each one, verse 7, is given the manifestation of the Spirit. Why? What is the purpose? Is it for you to go home and have an experience? Is it for you to use that gift on yourself? No, it says for the common good. And what he is saying is, is the context by which the Christian is to use their gift is primarily, is focused in the local church that you are committed to. The body then is healthy, thriving, biblically saturated, and, and, a holy, and empowered by the Holy Spirit, which brings glory to Christ. This is a big section about gifts, but we're going to take it one at a time. Verses 8 through 11. Here we go. 8 through 11, and he says, For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, and to another gifts of healing by one Spirit, and to another the effecting of miracles, and to another prophecy, and to another the distinguishing of spirits, and to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. Verse 11, But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually, just as he wills. And God gives this. He grants this passage to you this morning saint. So that you would understand and exercise your spiritual gift. For the express purpose. To build up the body of Christ in your local church. He gives this passage so that you would understand what spiritual gifts are. And that you would exercise your unique spiritual gift. To build up the body of Christ in your local church. You were not saved simply you to sit on the pew, to sit on the bleachers, so to speak, to not get in the game. God has called all of us, regardless of the gift that you are given, regardless of the gift mix that you are given, he has called you to be as devoted as any other Christian in the local body to build one another up. And so our mission and our goal, brothers and sisters, is that when we come together, my goal is to build you up to encourage you. My goal is to, is, to, is to see how you're doing, to see how I can pray for you and to use my gifts accordingly so that you would be strong and so that as we, as we, dis, as we uh, disassemble, is that a word? As we disperse and we go to our various spheres of influence, we act on mission and then when we come back, we strengthen each other again for the mission. As you recall, though Paul called the Corinthians an assembly of saints, there was so much sin in the church. Lawsuits and immorality and here the wrong usages of spiritual gifts. 
Some are using spiritual gifts as a platform for their pride. Some were feeling inferior because of the ostentatious show of other people's gifts and were feeling discouraged. Many folks who used their expression of showy gifts disrupted the worship services in Corinth. Imagine they would have a Sunday service and they would start shouting and speaking a, a different foreign language while the preacher was preaching or while the music was going or while someone was praying. Many folks who used this expression of showy gifts, they would disrupt and visitors would come in and they would think, these people are crazy. We're trying to have an assembly. We're trying to be together. These people are crazy. And yet proponents of that kind of just wild and uncontrollable um, kind of services, they have a hard time with this verse. Look at verse chapter 14, verse 40. Chapter 14, verse 40. This is how your services should be. This is what Paul says. He doesn't give the liturgy. He doesn't give the order of service. But he says this. Let all things be done properly and in an orderly manner. And so what glorifies God when we come together to worship him is not disorder. Is not craziness. Is not jumping around. What glorifies God is that everything is done in order and in a proper manner so that we can think about the truth that is being proclaimed. It is not supposed to be, as what some churches will teach, a lack of self-control when the Bible clearly says that the fruit of the Spirit, one of the aspects of the fruit of the Spirit is what? Self-control. So, Paul, by the Holy Spirit, tackles the subject head on so that the Corinthian church would be a beacon in their culture. On the one hand, Paul desires the Holy Spirit to reign in the church as he gifts the church and that the church use their gifts to bring glory to Christ. But on the other hand, Paul aims to teach the Corinthians about the dangers of abusing the gifts. The dangers of abusing the gifts. Now... There are two important truths about spiritual gifts given to the local body by the Holy Spirit to bring glory to Christ. The first one is to expect the Holy Spirit to grant a variety of gifts to the local, local church. When we come together as a church, you need to expect that there will be a variety. He's already said it in the previous verses in chapter 4. There's a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. A variety of ministries, but the same Lord. A variety of effects, but the same God. And what this means is, in application, is when we come together, we ought not look at each other and think that every single family and every single individual are going to be uniform. We're not seeking for uniformity. We're, we're to have different gifts and it's supposed to be expressed in different ways. We are seeking for unity. We have unity within this diversity. Diversity of gifts. <coughs> the giftedness and its respective burdens and effectiveness are to display his glory and his rule using a diverse people group together for the glory of Christ. The first topic of understanding spiritual gifts is understanding what they are. What are they? Spiritual gifts, again, as a repetition, as a review, they are new abilities given to believers at the moment of salvation 
which helped to edify and build the local church. Every believer in Christ has a spiritual gift or a gift mix given to them at salvation. Now, I'm going to just mention this aspect of them, and then we're going to talk about it later on as the chapters go. But there are permanent gifts that are given to the church, even today, to build up the church. And they're listed here. Knowledge, wisdom, teaching, and prophecy in the aspect of proclaiming, the aspect of forthtelling, not foretelling, and I'll explain the difference. And there are temporary gifts that God gave the church. The temporary gifts given, they were given to authenticate and to confirm his word. You have to remember there was no New Testament. And there was these people who were saying we speak for God. And they would say how do we know? How do we know you speak for God? Well I do these miracles, these sign miracles that no one can do. That point to the authenticity of the message we preach. And so these sign miracles, these sign gifts that were being performed were not in and performance in and of of themselves. They were signs which pointed to the message of the gospel. And I'll show you that much later. But God gives a brief list so you can see where you are. So you could evaluate other people's gifts, brothers and sisters, and to discern false or unhealthy uses of those gifts. He gives a representative list of gifts. It's not exhaustive. It's not comprehensive. There's another list in Romans 12. There's another categorization in 1 Peter. But he starts out. And he reminds them this is given for the common good. He reminds them, if you recall in verse 1, I do not want you to be unaware that there ought to be clarity in every Christian mind, every Christian's mind of the gifts that are given to the local church and what they are to do with them. So first, there is wisdom. He says here in verse 8, for to one is given the word of wisdom through the spirit. It's from the root word logos, which means to say, to speak, to point to gifts as being, it's a, it's, a, it's a speaking gift. This giftedness takes the truth of God, takes the truth of Scripture, and is able to make very skillful and practical application of the truth to real life situations. This is not someone who has the, uh, the gift and can understand theology but doesn't know how to translate it to real life. This is the person who says and who asks the question in light of God's truth and in light of Christ in regards to this topic, how then shall we live? How then shall we live? Now, for the preacher... It's the person who can draw and exposit the application from scripture and from other commentators. For the discipler and for the counselor, this applies to God's truth. You're able to apply uh, God's principles in his word to their problems, to their anxieties, to their sin. That is a bit of what God calls his wisdom. To elders, they must have some measure of this giftedness to lead the church in particular through struggles, through trials, through hard times that a congregation may have. So that is the, uh, the gift of 
wisdom, and to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit. You notice here, all of them is given by the Spirit, he says. Through the Spirit, according to the Spirit, by the same Spirit, by the one Spirit. Um, And verse 11, but the one and same Spirit works all things. Over and over he tells you that the third person of the Trinity is so involved in the local church, so involved even at the individual level to give you a gift mix so that you, as you throw your hand into the work, become part of this great majestic endeavor to bring glory to Christ and to edify each other. This is really what causes the church to come up, to rise up, and to do what it needs to do. Now notice, he says knowledge, the gift of knowledge. This is a, a gift of understanding the truth of God's word. This, we would say, is probably prior to the exercise of wisdom. Most likely before the canon of script, scripture was completed, that is, before the Bible was finished, this may have been revelatory or given new revelation since the Bible was not finished. But today it is the Christian's special capability to study and to find the context of words, to understand their meanings, to understand their phrases, and help others understand. This gift of knowledge is the ability to understand the meaning of God's revelation in a heightened sense. It's wonderful when you see somebody who can actually take the word of God and really help to explain it in a really clear thought-provoking way. It's needed for all preaching and teaching. Must, uh, preachers and teachers must rely on this gift because he must teach and preach the word which is, which is required when you interpret. It's needed for counseling. You've got to know what the word says. It's needed for wisdom and for leading. Sometimes some, some of these guys are, or gals are highly trained in uh, biblical languages and theology and church history to help us to understand. Other times they're not formally educated, but they can find and explain and interpret truth from God's word. The third gift that's listed. So you have wisdom. In verse 8. You have knowledge and then you have faith. Faith. Now this is not the uh, initial saving faith that we would talk about. You come to faith in Christ. Nor is it the daily exercise of faith that every Christian should be exerting. But rather this gift of faith is this incredible ability to trust God in extremely difficult times. There are times I've seen brothers who are especially gifted in this, who say, God is going to take care of us. Let's go forward with this project. Let's go forward with this mission. He's going to take care of it all. And it is one of the most blessed things to have this kind of person in your church. Why? Because they already know, they lay claim to the promises of God. And they are not wavering. And when someone has faith like that, sometimes when your faith is weak, it is a good encouragement and it lifts you up does it not there's been many examples all through church history many examples you remember when Paul they were all terrified in the ship in Acts chapter 27 
and it, and, and it was shipwrecked. But before it was shipwrecked, Paul said, and he laid claim to the promise that God gave him, that not one of you will die. We will all make it to the beach, right? Church history tells us of many famed missionaries who would go. Hudson Taylor and, and George Mueller in Bristol and Hudson Taylor in China. They would go with tremendous faith. They never, it's amazing, this is not what missions does now. They never asked for money. Do you notice that? Hudson Taylor and George Mueller. They never had support letters. They just simply said, if God is in the work, he will provide for me. Adoniram Judson went to Burma, formerly Burma, which is now Myanmar, and he would go and he would stay and you would wonder, he's, he's there for many years, fruitless it would seem, with no convert for many years. His first wife dies, his second wife dies, his baby dies because there's no one to nurse his baby. And he stays and he has faith and then the people come to Christ. When the, church, when the church hears these kind of folks pray and believe in God, the church is greatly edified to take risks. So it's a gift of faith. It is, that's something that is just a wonder and a joy for the church. Healing, gift of healing. So we are ne- uh, going to the next one. To another faith by the same spirit and to another gifts of healing by the one spirit. <laughs> this is the first temporary gift that he lists. And this first temporary gift is given to authenticate the word of God. And when I say temporary, folks, folks will say to me, well, Angelo, are you saying temporary because you don't believe God heals? No, we're not saying that we don't believe that God heals. We believe that God heals. Of course we do. Just not in the way that someone has the gift of healing would do it. Why? Because we don't have those kind of people today. Those kind of people... Uh, The kind of healing where the apostles and the 70 and Philip, their kind of healing and Christ's kinds of healing was they would just say a word and all the diseases were gone. These folks who say they have, oh, we're having a healing service and we're coming. Those are not the kinds of healings that the apostles and Jesus himself had. When someone has, say, they're sneezing, they come up to the stage, he puts his hand on them, and then they're no longer sneezing. That's not the kind of healing we're talking about. We're talking about blind men who are completely blind from birth, and now they can see. We're talking about men whose legs are shriveled up and now are given strength, and their muscles come out, and they could walk. We're talking about when Peter walks by and his shadow merely touches them and heals them from all their infirmities. There is no healing like that. In fact, if you were to follow um, Benny Hinn's nephew, uh, Costi Hinn, who was saved out of that kind of a background, he would tell, he told you, he would say in his books, you could read Costi Hinn's books. He's a great preacher. He loves the Lord. Costi Hinn, um, He said that there were times that they would line up and they would have people on the microphone and they would say, okay, send that guy, send that guy. But when there was the real deal, someone who was actually paralyzed, they would not send that person up because they knew he could not heal them. And Costi just kind of unveils, this is what our family did before he was saved. 
Now this gift, you have to think about it, this gift of healing was not used actually specifically just for my physical health. It would be kind of nice, you know. I got sick a couple times in December. If I had the gift of healing, I probably would have used it on myself. Use it on our church, right? right? Hey, we could all come and have a picnic again, right? But if you notice, it was not used in that way. It was always used as a sign to authenticate the message. Interesting, there are many times that Paul was sick. And he didn't use it on himself. It's quite interesting, isn't it? Do you remember um, Epaphroditus? He would say about Epaphroditus. Oh, Epaphroditus, he, he was sick even almost until death. Well, Paul, you have the gift of healing. Why didn't you heal him? Right? And Paul was saying it does, it's not used that way. You remember when Tom, uh, Timothy's stomach was hurt? Instead, Paul would say, mix a little wine so it would act as a bacterial detergent to drink that water, which was non-potable, right? And then you would drink it. Instead of saying that, he would have said, okay, you're healed. But he didn't do that. Why? Because it wasn't used for personal, personal uses. But it was used as a sign to point that they would have the gift that they would, of the message that they would teach. So for us, we would pray for healing. But for now, uh, for us, we would pray for healing. We pray that God would work. But we don't, ha- we don't have anyone who has that kind of gift of healing. Miracles. Verse uh, 10a. Miracles. Now notice he says, and to another, the effecting of miracles, and to another, prophecy. This is another temporary sign gift pointing to the authenticity of the message. This is a supernatural working of God, breaking into natural laws, only explainable by divine intervention to show that the message was authenticated. You have to think. Let's go to um, Jesus. Let's, let's see what Jesus did. Look at, uh, um, I believe this is uh, John chapter 2. Let's go to John. John chapter 2. You notice. This is, this is when Jesus turns water into wine. And no, contrary to what some may think, he did not turn water into wine so that the wedding would be popping. Okay. So that it would be more entertaining. So that it would have be more fun. He didn't do it simply for himself, for that, or for the disciples. But, what do we know? I'm sorry. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, I think I turned you to the wrong. Uh, John chapter 20, I'm sorry. Not 2, 20. That was where he did it. But notice in John chapter 20. This is the reason why any signs were there. This is the reason why these sign miracles, and what is a miracle? It's, It's when God, uh, it's when the natural laws and the natural order of things are disrupted and can only be explained by divine intervention. And so why did Jesus do it? Notice he says in John chapter 20, verse 30, therefore many other signs, many other signs. You got to think of the word, the word signs is uh, from the Greek word simeon. Simeon 
is some, it's not supposed to emphasize the, the miracle in and of itself, but what it points to. What does it point to? And so Jesus says, he performed in the presence of the many disciples, which are not present in the book. Why? But these have been written so you may believe. What has been written? Written about the signs that he did. Why? So that, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. So there's that connection. The reason why these miracles were done, the reason why these signs were done, was so that the message can be authenticated. And so in authenticating the message, you would believe. Turn to Acts chapter 14, and we'll see another example of this. Acts chapter 14. In verse 3, therefore, they spent, the disciples spent a long time there boldly with reliance upon the Lord, who was testifying to the word of his grace. Now notice, there's this testimony, they were preaching and the preaching was attended by what? Granting that signs and wonders be done by their hands. So you notice this connection. It was never, oh, let's have this. Uh, and I, I think it's really quite silly to say we're going to have a revival meeting. You cannot control the Holy Spirit like that. You cannot plan him into your day like that. He will move when he moves. But there are folks who have these revival meetings and there's going to be signs and wonders if you come. Signs and wonders. When the signs and wonders were there to point to the message, which is completed in scriptures now. We have no such power as one commentator says today by which certain of us can successfully go about commanding demons to come out of unsaved people as the disciples did. There is no, uh, and sometimes you will hear this in prayers of, of other Christians. They'll say, oh, we cast out the demon of this neighborhood or we claim lame unto the, uh, claim, uh, we claim this land. Uh, I claim this neighborhood. I claim Rancho del Oro. Over the demons of Rancho del Oro. That's what they would say. Stuff like that. And yet God says. He never gave us that application. B.B. Warfield who is the, uh, the preeminent scholar. And he wrote on um, uh, the sufficiency and the uh, inspiration of scripture. A classic book. Every seminarian still reads it. He wrote, these miraculous gifts were part of the credentials of the apostles. As authoritative agents of God in founding the church. Their function confined them distinctly to the apostolic church. And they necessarily passed away with it. If you notice, even as Timothy is told in 2 Timothy, Paul's last words to him, he doesn't say, go do miracles. He doesn't say, go speak in tongues. He doesn't say, go perform healings. He says, preach the word. Prophecy. This word prophecy means to speak forth, to proclaim. Before scripture was complete, it did include this foretelling. <coughs> It was revelatory when the word was not complete. God's truth 
in many instances all over scripture was told by the prophets. After scripture was complete, this fourth telling, this became a F-O-R-T-H, not F-O-R-E, F-O-R-T-H telling. This became the spirit-given and spirit-empowered ability to proclaim the word of God effectively. This was no longer new revelation, but a proclamation of what is already revealed. And this is very clearly seen in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 3. Notice uh, 1 Corinthians, as if you would go there, go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 3. It says, but one who prophesies speaks to men. One who prophesies, listen, speaks to men for what? Edification and exhortation and consolation. So there's this proclaiming of God's word that edifies. The prophecy never deviates from God's word. Nor is it ever personal in nature. Prophecy is not this. Oh I know. And someone looks at you at church. And I know you're going to get married. And and by next year. By next spring. And I know who it is. Or sometimes it's, oh, I know, I know that you're going to get a job. I can feel it. I, I prophesy that. No, that is not what prophecy is. Prophecy never goes against Scripture. Prophecy doesn't uh, go over Scripture. If it, if it, uh, if it is um, consistent with Scripture, it is unnecessary, isn't it? If it's new to Scripture, then it is wrong. Distinguishing of spirits. Verse 10c. Distinguishing of spirits. This is the ability to discern and to test spirits of their veracity, of their truth. As they're coming from God. As all Christians should. But there are some who have this specific gift. We know in 1 John chapter 4 verse 1. It says that all Christians should not believe every spirit. But test the spirits to see whether they are from God. It is the special ability to recognize lying spirits. Some may seem scriptural on the superficial level, but they are really counterfeits. And God gives the church these, it's amazing, God gives the church these counterfeit experts. I think our dear brother um, uh, Zephaniah Mel was like that. I think he was. Oh, you better watch out for that. Really? Tell me about it. Oh, you better watch out. Better watch out for that. Better watch out for that. I think he was uh, he was given this this uh, gift of being able to discern spirit uh, of other uh, spirits. It was valuable to the early church because they didn't have the scriptures completed, so it was valuable to them. They didn't have the scriptures completed, so they didn't know what to measure it up. So they had these people that would help them to discern, and it's still present today, as one compares other variant teachings. With scripture. Sometimes some undiscerning. Sadly some undiscerning teachers or preachers. May adopt a wrong view. From psychology or philosophy. Or pop culture. And those with this gift come. And give a scriptural basis to reject such thoughts. Some have said. And I think it's, it's, I think it's true. That this is a spiritual gift. On spiritual gifts. That it's the gift that discerns other gifts. Whether or not it's from Christ. It discerns the manifestations of the Spirit. 
These are folks who expose false prophets and hypocrites by going back to the word. This is the heart. This is a, a very similar to the heart of the Berean back in Acts. This, uh, this gift has to be exercised with much caution because when it's abused, they could be very, very critical, very proud, very holier than thou. But when it's used rightly and not overly judgmental, rather than corrective, they can help the local church away from false doctrine. Tongues. Now, we're going to spend a lot of time on tongues. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time this Sunday. Chapter 14 is virtually all on tongues. So we're going to talk about that a little bit later. But I'll just say this shortly, that it is a... Uh, in, summary, in summation, that it's a temporary gift. It's this ability to speak a known human language, which you never learned before, as a sign that the gospel was going out to the Gentiles. And this was clearly seen in Acts chapter 2. And the interpretation is the ability to interpret these languages. So in application, as we go into church, this is what we should expect. Every Christian should expect this, that we should expect giftedness a diversity of giftedness in a local church given by the Holy Spirit. We should expect unity, not uniformity, in a local church. We should allow others the expression of their gift in its own differences, in its own distinctions within biblical lines. We should realize that the difference between permanent gifts and temporary gifts are very clear in that the temporary gifts were given to authenticate the message. Now, we are expecting the Holy Spirit to grant a variety of gifts to the local church. And for this, I am very grateful. I'm very grateful every Sunday. Isn't it wonderful? We get to come and we see each other use their own gifts. And it is just a wonder and a joy. These abilities that they did not have before. And as I, as I sit there in the chair, you know, I'm, I am so edified when I get to hear the people sing, and I see the AV team working, and I see Dre and the team playing and singing, and uh, Manny is uh, greeting folks, and we're all just doing our part. Uh, Happy Harbor is uh, taking care of our little ones and sharing the gospel with them every Sunday. There is nothing like it. It's beautiful to see in Crew 412 when uh, the students come and there are guest students who would come and we welcome them and we invite them and we feed them and we share the gospel with them. It's wonderful to see uh, when Manny is using his gift of teaching at uh, Christ our anchor and, and we are all fed and all engaged and all encouraged that night. And it was exactly what we needed to hear. It's wonderful to see when folks are meeting for discipleship, meeting with those folks, and they both grow in the Lord because of it, both discipler and the person who's being discipled. It's wonderful to see as, as uh, even in elder and deacon meetings, as we challenge each other as men, and we, got, we really start to see each other take off. Amen. Get in the game. Ask, where can I serve? I want to serve there. And watch what happens. Let God multiply the fish and the loaves. 
And what will happen is you will start to realize we were made and we were so conformed and we were so created and we were given a particular gift mix that no one else has in the local church. And that's why it works. Amen? It's beautiful. Did you know that the gift that each of you have, the Spirit, third person of the Trinity, gave it particularly, particularly to you so that we would be strong in a certain area. And that when you withhold, or you don't commit, or you don't serve, that area of the church that could be expanded and strengthened suffers. There is this interdependence on one another. I was on FaceTime with Jason. I said, you need to get, you need to get better. We need you. Get better. Quit playing with your chickens. Right? Get better. Um, so, praise the Lord, huh? Secondly, realize the Holy Spirit decides which gift is, to, is given to each member. So, the Holy Spirit grants a variety of gifts to the local church, so we work together. But the Holy Spirit also decides which gift is given to each member. But one in the same Spirit, verse 11 works all these things, distributing to each one individually, just as he wills. Now, before we move on, if I were to just talk about giftedness and how all of us are gifted, and I didn't give the gospel, here, the, the understanding here is you, this is the person that has come to Christ. This is the person that, has, that knows that they were created to give glory to God and they know they have sinned and that they were separate from God, that they would never decide after God, never chase after God, but God himself chased after him through the Holy Spirit in the proclamation of Christ. And Christ paid the penalty by living, by dying, by being resurrected and ascended for that person and it was applied by faith. And if you are here this morning, if you're a young person that's here, or if you're hearing the gospel for the first time, and I, what I mean by hearing, you probably heard me say it 20,000 times, but I'm, I'm talking about actually hearing, where you're actually listening, this is me. I'm not experiencing this. I don't have this gift. I can't help the church. I have nothing to participate. Why is that? Why is there no spiritual gift or desire in me to serve? Maybe it's because you need to meet the Savior first. And let me tell you, when you meet the Savior and you realize all He's done for you, you can't help but want to serve. I mean, there are times on Sundays or Wednesdays or Fridays, Chanette and I, because we're involved in the in uh, Koa and we're involved in Crew. When we come home, we look each other. Uh, we look at each other. We're in bed and we go, "Wow, I'm so tired." But man, what a good night! They were encouraged. Did you see that? These people opened up. Did you see that? They're starting to understand truth. And it only happens, it doesn't happen with one person. It doesn't happen with one person. We need the body exercising its gifts. So if you've been on the sidelines, get back in if you're a believer. If you're not a believer, ask God to save you. 
and to see why we exert so much energy, why he's worth it to serve and to give our lives for him. But this same spirit who gives his supernatural abilities is the same one who determines which one you get. All are gifted and all are called to minister. Now what's interesting, notice the text. He says, but one and the same spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. Okay? So we usually gravitate, our eyes usually gravitate towards the distributing. And that's good. What God does, the third person of the Trinity, is he determines and he places in you this spiritual gift when you get saved. You cannot say and look at other people and say, oh, I wish I had that gift. Or, or man, my gift is not as good as that person. Or, man, my gift is totally awesome. Everyone else is not as good as me. Right? The gifts are determined by God. And so the proper response is a thankfulness for whatever giftedness that anyone has. Now what's interesting is if you look at the text, it says here, distributing to each one individually, but prior to that, it's the same spirit. So the same spirit who distributes, now listen, is the same spirit who works all these things. Now the word there, works, is from the root energeo, where we get energy. It is the spirit of God, here's amazing, that gives you energy to do this work. Now, Dre will tell you, right? I don't know how we get stuff done. We're all exhausted. But it is the Holy Spirit that gives us supernatural strength. Better than coffee. Amen. The joy of the Lord is our strength is really true. Right? I see moms who are exhausted because they had to get up at 4 o'clock. And there was a mess. And they're ready to serve. I'm like, how are you doing this? Because the joy of the Lord is my strength. And what we're seeing, see, you have to stop and see this, the, the supernaturality of it. What you are actually seeing is the Holy Spirit energizing you. And this energy, when it is used, yielding to the Holy Spirit, becomes effective. This is amazing. For edification and for eternity, what does that mean? That at that moment, when you exercise your gift in the power of the Holy Spirit to edify and to build the church, what occurs is this supernatural energy, this supernatural power to allow you to do it and for it to have its fruition, for it to have its effect, for it to actually hit its mark. I'll tell you one thing. I was, you know, um, I hope I don't embarrass you, Steph and Andre, but uh, I, was, uh, I was so discouraged when we couldn't get in the building. I can't tell you how discouraged I was. I was so discouraged. So discouraged. I I'm starting to think about it now because I love being with the saints. So discouraged. And then um, I'm praying just giving God all, all my burdens and my anxieties. And um, the Owens show up and they give a nice little card and a gift. 
He said, we wanted to give this to you, but we didn't give it to you for a long time. And it was, it was a simple note. And just as we were just so encouraged that every Sunday we hear the word of God. I couldn't tell you that. I called them and I said, this preacher needed that. I needed that. I need the body of Christ. I need you. But you guys didn't know. You guys were just, let's go do this for pastor, right? Oh, it was so tremendous for me. Thank you. Oh, I didn't even thank the church. Thank you for your gift. You guys blessed us financially during Christmas. I can't tell you how much that helped us. But it's those little things, those little notes, those little, hey, how can I pray for you? Those little times, come on, we can, let's play. I know you're tired, I'm tired too. Let's play, right? It's the, oh, here we go again. Here's a big speaker. Uh, Oh, give it to the little girls. Boom, boom, right? Just kidding. But I can't tell you how we need each other. Isn't that right? Just a, hey, I, I heard you're sick. And, and you, I, you know, when I was sick, I didn't even want to talk on the phone. Because I'm all full here. But I could text. Right? Thanks for praying for me. I can't tell you how much that is. That's the body working. And people will say, oh, that's just a little thing. No, that is a deep, spiritual, energizing of the Holy Spirit to get my eyes back on Christ. Amen? We all need that. On that little piece of paper. So, how do you apply this? Well, you need to recognize that the Holy Spirit's hand in uniquely distributing gifts and encourage in people, as you look at people in your influence and to encourage their growth in those particular areas. Sometimes, sometimes I see people's giftedness in a certain area and I go, that's not my area, I know it, but I'm going to make them stronger in that area. I'm going to make them stronger in evangelism. I'm going to make them stronger in hospitality. I'm going to make them stronger in, in all those aspects. If they're a teacher, I'm going to make them stronger. I'm going to do whatever I can so that their gift is used at, with full pistons going at its greatest capacity, used at its greatest measure for the fullness of Christ. I'm going to resist temptations of envy regarding gifts. I'm not going to look at the other person who has a better gift or is being blessed better. I'm going to resist temptation of looking down at others with uh, different gifts. Because we're all inheritors of this great uh, inheritance that God has given. Amen? I'm going to thank the Lord that however flawed with sin and however flawed your brother or sister may be in the church, they were specifically placed, yes, specifically placed together to build this church up. And I thank the Lord for uniquely blessing this church with you, brother and sister. 
Especially in a smaller church, there may be those who are especially gifted in one area. And we need to realize that it's the Holy Spirit who determined that. The Holy Spirit, you think about this. The Holy Spirit determined that RBC would need that person. And that person, when they are using their gifts, is exactly what we needed to keep going. It is this interdependence all on the Holy Spirit to glorify Christ. May this help you to understand and use your gift to edify the church. Let's pray. Father, we know that this third person of the Trinity gave us these gifts to glorify the second person of the Trinity for your glory, the first person of the Trinity. And we pray, Father... You would use us. Would you energize our works? Energize us, Lord. Make it effective. Save, change, multiply, edify, do your work, God. Help us to sing in Jesus' name. Amen.